You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Deadair Knife here with always... Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1982 slasher grindhouse exploitation drive-in classic pieces. Did you say 1982 or 1983? 82. It was 82, but you'll find it often under 83 because that's when it hit our shores. Well, sorry if I'm just a little too accurate for the rest of the world, but they're going to have to come... Up to my level, I'm not coming down to theirs. I don't blame you. <laughs> 1982. No, but it is true that there was, uh, the, the U.S. got this a little bit later, although you wouldn't know that because the movie is supposed to take place in Boston. And it is extremely Americanized. They go out of their way to make it Americanized. <laughs> and pointing out all the uh, Italian furniture, it's not... I was going to say, Amer- American households do not have... F- a- door frames furniture like this at all some places yes most places no colleges probably not (laughs) over here anyhow so what was it about pieces that made you want to do this particular film chainsaws chainsaws yep well you know you don't have to go to texas for a chainsaw massacre (laughs) it's one of my all-time favorite Taglines of this? Taglines. Yeah. You know, this movie has two taglines, right? Yeah, I like the new tagline. <laughs> it's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> Which would have worked really not as well with The Night Has 1,000 Screams. And neither would have You Don't Have to Go to Texas for a Chainsaw Massacre. No. It wouldn't have worked with that original. I guess it would be the original title because it wasn't planned to be filmed overseas then released here it was planned to be released here mm-hmm. yet filmed overseas which yeah. is a, a neat switch neat yeah. switcheroo for once mm-hmm. but the night has 1000 screams you would throw that title around to many horror fans and they wouldn't know what you're talking about mm-hmm. it's exactly what you think it is a night of 1000 screams tuesday <laughs> you know like i i enjoy the the title pieces i enjoy the taglines i enjoy the chainsaw Mm-hmm. Now, people looking for chainsaws in their horror, and there's a lot of them out there, they would inevitably go to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There is a chainsaw, and there is a death by a chainsaw, but not as many as pieces. Yeah. And if we're keeping score in the horror world, and I know we are, when it comes to movies that just hands down have the most chainsaw deaths, I think pieces wins. Probably. Yeah, it definitely does. He doesn't get creative with the chainsaw, oh, though. No. There's none of this, you know. You know, have you ever watched Ice Sculpting? I have, as a matter of fact. That is probably the sexiest thing you can do with a chainsaw. They're like surgeons with them fucking things. Do you think that they could probably do a movie about an ice sculptor who also kills people like Moonlights as a chainsaw killer and then turns people's bodies into meat sculptures? Have you ever seen, like, people make sculptures out of, like, hamburger, like, ground beef and stuff? Ew, no. Oh, yeah, me either. Fuck that shit. What is that? Who does that? Uh, Well, maybe the killer in our brand new movie. No. I'm out. I'm out. Meat sculpture. This project, no. 
you got to find somebody else. Fine, but trademark, trademark, meat sculptor. That's gonna be my brand new. Stop saying meat sculpting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. We just watched a movie where so many people got completely dismembered by a chainsaw, and I can't say meat sculptor without you cringing. I'm sorry, I'm just picturing touching meat, and it's like the grossest thing ever. When I'm forming like meatballs or whatever, I need to have like water running so that I can immediately wash all that grease and grime off. I don't know, I'd probably fare a lot better chopping somebody up into a bunch of pieces, wink wink, with a chainsaw, <laughs> than I would meat sculpting. The whole idea is just gross to me. Ice sculptor. We can do a horror film with an ice sculptor with a chainsaw, and we'll have Willard, and it'll be great. Like the character of Willard or Crispin yeah, Glover? Or Bluto, who we keep calling Willard in this film, not Crispin Glover. Crispin Hellion Glover. Oh. Sir. But, um, yeah, no, Willard. We'll definitely need Willard because he looks Canadian enough. This would be the greatest Canadian horror film ever made, I think. Wow. You know what? I like this idea. Yeah. Cut, print, beautiful. We'll have to film it in Spain, though. <laughs> it's true. You would think this was Boston if not for all the ornate furniture and all the people speaking Spanish. In the Spanish version. Yeah, in the Spanish (laughs) version. We watched the Spanish version, the 86-minute cut, because we wanted to make sure that we squeezed out every single solitary inch of pieces for you, our dear listeners. Sexy. I'd have to say that there isn't much of a difference if you're... If you have the old VHS or whatever it is that you're watching, if you're watching this film or just listening to us ramble on about something you haven't watched... Uh, you're not missing like too too much honestly it's weird because i had never watched the spanish version before i've only ever seen this in english so jarring was one of the words that kept coming to my head especially the different soundtrack like the soundtrack is so different i appreciate the american soundtrack so much more but i did find that this uh, piano intensive soundtrack instead of a synth soundtrack mm-hmm. um Reminded me a lot of the music in Necromantic. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good call. I haven't thought about that movie in a while. And when you said that, I was like, oh, man, you're right. It is like the music in Necromantic. There was, I believe, a scene in Tokyo Ghoul, which uses a very similar score, far more similar to the music in Necromantic. That's another <laughs> thing that I tend to notice. I found that out. Well, you know what? I notice food. Yes. Um, Pieces is a horror movie that was coming out in the slasher boom. And I know some of our listeners are like, you guys can keep going back to this five-year period in horror. Yeah, I guess. We try and break out of it every once in a while for you, the listener. For you, the listener. But when it comes to things that I guess we just really fucking like, you can't do better than the golden age. Now, the the thing with Pieces is it really merges a lot of these genres together. Grindhouse stuff that was going on in the early to mid 70s, even into some of the late 60s, mostly into the 70s. It takes a lot of sensibilities of that, and then it adds sensibilities of the early 80s, what was going on in horror then. So you have this unique beast that, man, does it have a cult following. Like, holy fuck, do people like pieces. I don't blame them. It's an amazing film. And it's one of those things that if it would have been lost for longer, it would have still come back to well-primed cult following. Mm -hmm. It would have created a cult following regardless of when it would have re-entered the stream, so to speak. But it's sort of just always been there, sort Mm -hmm. of floating along. 
Um, I can see how it's gained such a huge cult following. And things like screenings of pieces at the Mayfair certainly don't hurt that. Mm -hmm. And people like me, who just absolutely love this fucking movie. I know when I saw pieces, I saw it the first time when I was really young. I, I definitely had didn't have a VHS co a VHS copy. I was given a VHS copy of it, and it kind of came and went for me. It it was yet another slasher movie that I had watched as a kid. One of the things that stuck out with me the first time I watched it. Well, two things stuck out with me when I watched it. The 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 actual use of the chainsaw because you know you're promised a lot of chainsaws in horror but very... there are horror films that the chainsaw the chain there isn't a chain on it yeah it's just a vibrating noisy smoking thing mm -hmm. it doesn't have an actual chain on it i've seen that i hate that yeah. that or there are scenes where you can tell that the sound is dubbed in but the chainsaw itself isn't on because the chain isn't in motion mm -hmm. it's so aggravating and the second thing was there's a lot of nudity in this. It's not... I wouldn't call it gratuitous. Well, it's not... Um, Very natural nudity. Yeah, it's not... It's it's it's, it's women who are naked. Mm -hmm. It's not like anything is overly sexual. It's just when you're a young boy and, and you're just like, oh, look, women aren't wearing their shirts. Hooray. I hardly noticed that even when I first watched this. And I was probably about 18, I suppose, when I bought my first copy of pieces um it didn't really dawn on me as overly over like i wouldn't describe it as saying there's a lot of nudity mm -hmm. although there is mm -hmm. but it just never even dawned on me and i think like every fifth time i watch it i i remember that there's full frontal penis because that's something oh, yeah. that doesn't stick in my mind either because it's not like in your face like up your nose full frontal penis it's just there and it's uh, another thing that makes it one of those weird beasts is that it's owing a lot to the european aesthetic where there's just naked people mm -hmm. it just happens that people get naked they mm -hmm. have to in between sets of clothing mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. over here the americans would have made that a far more different presentation of nudity especially the female nudity and the amount of boobs mm-hmm it would have been in-your-face boobs. Oh, hell yeah. It's way sexier, way far more sexualized, but I find none of the sexuality, sex, or nudity in this is highly sexualized, and I really like that. So this movie opens up with a young boy putting together a puzzle and his mom coming into the room looking at him lovingly. There's my sweet little lad putting together a puzzle in his weird little pants and his weird little shirt and his beady little eyes and it's like little later hosen that's so weird about that <laughs> looks like a dork anyways but then she wants to see what he's putting together and he's really thinking about it he's got the puzzle piece by his mouth and he's just staring at it where could this piece go where could it go she goes to investigate <laughs> what what kind of puzzle is my innocent little boy putting together a naked lady, Lydia. Alert, alert, alert. Well, you didn't see any bush. That was some of the puzzle pieces that were missing. Maybe the one that was in his mouth. Oh. <laughs> but she is not having it. All you care about is tits, just like your father. It's amazing to me that she right away like, accuses him of being like this absent father. So you've, you've got to assume that this person is bad. And then she threatens to kill him. Threatens to kill him if he ever if he ever brings any of that trash in the house again, and then wants to 
go through his room violently, but just tear everything apart, trying to find more contraband. That's a total shakedown. And she is telling him to go get a trash can because we're going to burn it all. I'm sure many little boys and little girls, for that matter, have gone through a similar situation. Not quite as violent as what he's gone through, but I'm sure that there's some listeners out there that have had belongings violently removed. I remember when my dad got super mad at me because my bedroom was really messy and he made me put Turtle City out in the garage and he said that he was going to throw it away, but you know what? He didn't actually do that. I got my Turtle City back, and then Leonardo and Michelangelo could, like, fucking fight on it. Yeah, they fought each other. Well, he didn't want to mix up other toys into that. He didn't want, like, He-Man toys in there. Yeah, I know. It took me a little bit longer before I started to do, like, the crossover the crossover play. I was very much, G.I. Joes play with G.I. Joes. Turtles play with turtles. <laughs> I was that kid. <laughs> Fucking Hitler. <laughs> the Hitler stuff was about the only thing that my parents asked me to like not have so much of. But I was into um, reading a lot of like National Enquirer, Bat Boy Lives and shit like that. And yeah, you were a Bat Boy fan? Oh, yeah. Huge. Um, but then I would take all those National Enquirers and European Vogue and make collages out of those things. So there was a lot of like... You were like, you did like Scissormen collages? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And there was one rather large one that was as soon as you walked up the stairs, because um, it was like a loft bedroom, and as soon as you walked up the stairs, the first thing you would be greeted by was um, Hitler was my Nazi sex slave lover in huge letters, and then a whole bunch of like Hitler and European Vogue models stuff. It was not my mom's favorite thing. You're a complicated dude, Lydia. So was Hitler. <laughs> God. Hey man, at least my toys played with the other toys. That's true. I was, I did, I was all about segregating my toys. How horrible is that? How horrible is that? Not quite as horrible as chopping your mom up into tiny little bits. Because man, axe. Me, this kid fucking reacts the way that I was not expecting. I thought he was just gonna. Get, I, th- I was like, oh, here we go. It's an it's an abusive, overbearing mother, sexually repressing her son. And he's going to grow up all twisted. Nah. He fucking murks her right between the eyes with an axe. The effects are okay. Her reaction isn't exactly what I would call believable. But the the effects look really good. She gets clonked in the noggin a couple of times with that axe. And then <laughs> cut to him with a saw. A nice big crosscut saw too. And oh, he man. is going to town. Right, he's got a big old smile on his face. Yeah. Just he's, loving it. He's gleefully chopping his mother up with this saw. And I kind of think that his reaction would have been exactly the same if she would have just seen the puzzle and went, oh, gee, I don't know if that's really appropriate for you. Let me just get you a big bird floor puzzle. We'll get you the big bird puzzle and we'll take this one and I'll put it with daddy's things on the curb. Yeah. You know, like, she could have had that same approach, I think, and he probably still would have chopped her up. Cause... Well, let me tell you, I think you're absolutely right because of the fact that we're not exactly uh, – the, the the time – the sense of time in this movie is fucking weird all throughout it. This is actually kind of weird, too. We are not sure if he's been left alone now with his dead, dis, uh, dismembered mother for days Weeks. or hours. Who knows? We do know that somebody – was trying to come and visit a friend of the family, a neighbor or something like that. 
gets no response. She suspects something's up. She calls the cops. It seems like if it's only been a couple of hours, I don't think the cops would have come. No, and they... it takes a lot of time to chop up a body from what I've gathered. Like, yeah. it's, especially for a little kid, it's going to tire him out pretty badly. I'm positive of this, that it must have been at least two days, if not more. But it seems like there's no sun up, sun down, so there's nothing to help us there. No. But do you think cops would, if, if, if a neighbor said, I went to my neighbor's house, I knocked on the door, she's not home, can you bring people over to go into the house? That doesn't seem like the cops would be like, well, maybe she's out. Well, what do you mean your neighbor isn't answering the door? Does she normally answer the door? Yes. Well, we'll be right there. Yeah. No, I don't. Like in some soap opera, maybe? Maybe. for So I think for the sense of time, it seems a lot shorter. But I will bet you that it's probably been at least a week, if not two, of, yeah. of trying to get this person's attention. And let me tell you, the reason why I think that you're right that this kid was just a screwball from the beginning was the fact that by the time the police break into the house and they look all over the place and they discover that there's body parts basically strewn about the house uh, the epicenter being the kid's bedroom they open up the closet there's the woman's head they open up another closet and there he is and he has this whole fabricated story and he's so scared he absolutely knows what he's done is murder and wrong and and he's got a lie to protect himself I'm a little boy Who I like would... how you say a whole fabricated story he says it was a big man and that's like the extent of his lines really he says it a couple I times assume, <laughs> I assume that there would be more to the story afterwards but I'm just saying he, yeah. he lies and he so I mean if he was emotionally just distant or, or, or vacant he yeah you chopped up your mom like what happened it's like my mom tried to take away my puzzle or she threatened to kill me. Or she he did have me. that leg to stand on if he yeah. chose to use it. But no, he did lie and he was being evasive. And he knew that he could rely on the adults to believe him because he's a traumatized child at that point. Mm -hmm. A scared kid covered in blood hiding in the closet having to live with his mother's corpse for an indeterminate amount of time would traumatize anyone. So right away they're going to be protective no matter what gibberish he tells them. Mm -hmm. Really. He could have even told them right up, I chopped my mom up. And they probably been like, it was probably a big man. <laughs> so I think he's lucky in that way. Though I'm glad that you agree with me that he's probably just insane from, from the get-go. Yeah, I, I don't think that his mother would have anything to do with that, honestly. I think that, you know, you're a little eight-year-old boy or whatever, and then you just you cut your mom up. Your mom taking away your puzzle and threatening to kill you is, is not... That's not enough motivation. That wouldn't be enough motivation for 99% of people. No, they probably like you cross your arms and stomp your foot and think, I wish they'd go away. You know, something like that yeah. is what a little more typical of a child that age. But it also shows that he's highly manipulative and pretty confident that he's going to get away with this, right? From the get-go. And this is just in the first few minutes because we get to flash forward 40 years later mm -hmm. to the hands the black glove killer in a way mm -hmm. the black rubber glove killer i happen to have those exact same black rubber gloves you know and you speaking of evasive you were never really clear about what you do with that gardening mm, what are you burying in the back lydia tulip bulbs yeah is that another word for innocent victims narcissus oh i also plant those oh wait really yeah huh. grape hyacinth any more, like, dangerous things that you want to plant? 
In my poison garden. I do have a full poison garden, which I like. Near the end, he does poison her with, I believe he uses Digitalis. Uh, I'd have to listen again to what it is that he uses, because I keep forgetting. What do you do with all those poisons in your poison garden? I just look at them. They have pretty flowers. Like, really, <laughs> honestly, that's really all that they're there As for. I'm putting you on blast now. Um, but you do need some good heavy-duty gloves to deal with those sorts of things. But anyway, I do like his gloves. But that's really all that we see of this guy, and he's sorting through his belongings that he had had as a child. So mom's bloody dress, mom's bloody shoes, mom's bloody photo, or photo with an X on it. A big, a big X. No! Boo! <laughs> Don't like you. Yeah, X'd out of existence like a Manson girl right there. <laughs> I know, right? The uh, puzzle. The beautiful puzzle. Yeah, you managed to keep that. Yeah. You had pointed out that you highly doubt he'd be able to keep all of these things from a crime scene. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'd like to think that he just squirreled them away, and it's just part of his layers of manipulation as a little seven-year-old boy, or however the hell old he was supposed to be, that he would have like coveted these trophies, trophies from his first kill, and something that he might have planned for a long time. Yeah, you're right. I, I totally buy the fact that he would have the opportunity and the time to squirrel things away. Look, if he knows what he's done is wrong and he also knows that police will eventually come because his mom isn't going to work or isn't answering the door or whatever, I think he would also have the presence of mind to, well, these are the things that I want to keep. I want to keep the clothes that my mother was wearing when I killed her and I want to keep this puzzle, which apparently is very important to me i'll put those in a box and i'll squirrel them away and then people will just uh, either dress why would you dress the body it's in pieces um <laughs> so I, I i buy i buy that for sure now we're going to start a scene which i would say the first of a couple of inexplicable scenes in this movie and part of why i love this so very much the type of scene listeners where you might watch it and just Scratch your head and be, what is this? Who is this for? Who are you? And what are you doing here? <laughs> the movie could have been, that scene could have been cut entirely and we'd have been none the wiser. Nope. Absolutely right. You have a young woman on a skateboard and in the American version, it's got some funky music playing while she's just like, on a skateboard, no, 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 just having a good time, waving to people. She doesn't see what we see as the two fellows getting off the back of a truck, <laughs> like they're in a Hanna Barbera cartoon, like Gumball Rally, like like ah, here's this big piece of glass, this mirror that we're getting rid of. She doesn't seem to understand how skateboards work, <laughs> no, and right? and so she can't stop. And she smashes into the glass. Now, this keeps getting cut back to scenes of these gloved hands putting back together this puzzle of this naked woman that he had as a child. They show quite specifically a shot of the photo of the mother in close-up. So we get a good look at the face. And then a shot of the girl on the skateboard, a close-up of her face. So we're definitely led to believe we're supposed to think that these two women look alike. And then it just continues on with the skateboard girl until she smashes through the glass. You had asked me what my opinion on the scene was, and I would spent the, the lion's share of the movie just thinking about it because it's been so long since I've seen this movie the first time that I didn't really remember it because why would you? 
And secondly, I just thought that maybe it was a superfluous scene. So I was like, fuck it. It's out of my head. But when I was thinking about it, I thought, and I had voiced to you the opinion that maybe it's a flashback and this woman got into a horrible accident and maybe he saw it and this awakened his interest in dismembering of women. Maybe, maybe that was, and that is such a fucking stretch. That is so me grasping at straws. May like like it's pathetic. You but, know, if that if I could, being the retro filmmaker that I am, yeah. So we're doing retroactive editing here. Yeah. You throw in one scene of the little boy that looks like him standing off to the side and seeing this happen. A four second scene of that, and that would totally make sense. Yeah. But. But none of that's there, unfortunately. No, so, there's even a flashback of when she smashes through the glass of the mirror of his mother smashing the mirror in anger in his bedroom. Yeah. So they juxtapose those two scenes as well. But this isn't happening 40 years ago. This is happening 40 years later. So the mother and this woman are absolutely not linked. I pointed out that she does resemble the girl in the puzzle. But the girl in the puzzle would have been 40 years older and not look like that anymore yeah. at all. She'd be like 58. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to say what the genesis of the scene was. If you go to the Wikipedia page, it explains that this is simply a random scene who of a woman who gets into an accident is not hurt because she's in the very next scene and she is our first victim at the hand of the chainsaw killer. The girl on the, on the grass. Now... If they would have, again, I'm going to retroactively edit in a fucking skateboard so that she's sitting on the grass with a skateboard beside her. Because that's how she got there and that's where you would put your skateboard unless she's laying on it. Like, <laughs> get ILM to get in there and just, just put a little skateboard next to her. Yeah, that would <laughs> fix that. I could even just draw one in paint and paste it in and it would fix that. Yeah. But I don't... I didn't get that the first seven million times watching this. They don't, they look similar, but all the girls tend to look quite similar in this film. So mm -hmm. that's not a help. So I. What, is it for laughs? Are we supposed to be like, haha, she was on a skateboard and she got an accident? Yeah. It's not funny because you didn't, there's no slapsticky representation of the accident. It looks like the way that they filmed it and cutting to the slow motion flashback, I assume she died. When she hit that mirror. Well, I don't know. I, when they say like she was unharmed, I can agree with that. You can, you could easily smash through a mirror like that and come out without a scratch. If you can drive a motorcycle through a moose without getting hurt, then you can skateboard through a plate glass. That is the most Canadian <laughs> reference I think you've ever fucking made. Oh, if you could just uh, motorcycle to a moose there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. To get hurt? No, pretty near. Oh, pretty near. Pretty near. Pretty near. Um, watch those moose over by the falls there. <laughs> you do Canadians so much better than that. Like, <laughs> literally. <laughs> it is in your very blood. So I do believe that she could get through it without being hurt. But to have us 
leap into believing that this is the exact same girl laying on the on the on the grass without any mention of what just happened to her or any inkling it just seems like the absolute worst filmmaking or i'm led to believe there's maybe a scene missing in between where she explains to a friend like the weirdest thing just happened i skateboarded through a mirror anyway i'm gonna go study on the grass but it's odd because this movie even even the longest cut is 86 minutes so why the fuck would you cut that out if you're gonna leave that in if you're like look Cut it if you want to cut it. You're the filmmaker, not me. But cut all of it or don't cut any of it. There isn't even any gore in the mirror scene, so there's no reason to keep it. As far as, like, from a horror fan perspective, right? Yeah. No, it's not a kill. And, so. I, and you could have cut that entire, like, you could have cut that skateboard scene completely out. And we could have met this girl in the grass, which is no more or less a complicated introduction to any of the other fucking characters that are going to get murked in this movie. So... Yeah, it's really fucking confusing, but this isn't the only scene that's really fucking weird. But it is the only scene that's really fucking weird that makes me sit back and think, now, am I just really stupid? Am I missing something here? But I've watched this a zillion times, and I've watched... The very first time I watched this movie, I rewound it immediately, because I had to rewind it, because it was on a VHS. Mm -hmm. And I watched that scene over twice, trying to figure out what the fuck it was doing in this movie. And questioning all along, am I too dumb to get this? And I still do. You know, what? I refuse to believe that you're too dumb to understand pieces. Well, I fucking am, obviously. But the other incongruities don't baffle me, so. And we'll get to them. So this is our first murder that happens because she's just laying out on the grass and then having a good time somebody's cutting some trees or whatever on the property the campus property and just runs right up to her and takes her head clean off no one seems to see it but they are aware of this very graph uh, graphic murder that happens because now the cops are involved as one would suspect when a brutal murder happens on a campus in broad daylight yeah, know. it's not going to be a cover-up like a summer camp where they're just like, okay, everyone, we know that like it's pretty sad and scary, but we're not going to call your parents just yet. We're going to lose hang tight. So we got a bunch of grim-faced uh, police officers, detectives showing up. Their short hair, their short black hair, and their just frowny faces and their black suits. And Well, they, gotta, they need some answers around here. They're not going to get any from the dean. The dean's really weird. Because he seems to almost, if it was a summer camp, the dean would be the guy that's saying, oh, nothing's happening here. Yeah, he does play that character very, very well. Very evasive, not very helpful. He seems semi-helpful, but mm. not helpful enough. And he does slough them off way too much. And he's just awfully cold. But that's pretty typical of being a dean. And besides, they kind of can look to Willard, the groundskeeper, because she was killed on the grounds by the shrubs that he takes care of with a chainsaw, so... And it's not helping that old Willard is the creepiest fucking dude in the world that's going to look at you cockeyed, even if you're just saying something completely normal, like, hello. Yeah. I can't quite put my finger on what he looks like, the way, like, either he just got, like, a lemon shot in his eye... Or an angry pirate, angry pirate, <laughs> or maybe he is trying to decipher a magic eye painting. 
Something. He's got this weird cockeye look on his face. He could have had a stroke. Be gentle, Wes. And he's super into his chainsaw. Like, fucking molests it. He's like... (laughs) You know, when they come out to talk to him later, he is, like, cleaning it and petting it and smiling and loving it. You know, and it is a great red herring. And there's a few in this film, which is helpful. But he stands out as the number one because we've already been led to believe it's going to be somebody who has access to the grounds, who wouldn't strike fear into the heart of a co-ed, who was studying on the grass when somebody all of a sudden started a chainsaw behind her, and she'd just turn around and be like, are you going to be long with that thing? So we are already primed to believe that it must, and then in brackets, not be Willard. Well, the th- the only thing that can you can say for certain is that Willard is massive. He's massive. Yeah. And what we've seen of the killer seems like a much smaller person. Yeah, pretty average person. Uh, Our next red herring is Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown. We're introduced to Mr. Brown in the hall, and the only reason that he is a red herring at first, I suppose, is the treatment that he gets at the hands of his female students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They... They right away try to tell us he's weird. Yeah. He's like, oh, he's always by himself. What a weirdo. Mr. Brown is a dude that I can identify with because he color coats himself based on his last name. (laughs) What color is Nipe? Well, there isn't one. What I mean to say is as a guy who grew up watching a lot of Power Rangers, those kids always dressed in the color of of their corresponding ranger. So I just feel like if there was a brown ranger, well, it's this guy. You are so totally right. You are so totally. I wonder what his power moves would be. Well, it wouldn't be the powers of deduction, because he kind of floats through this story kind of confused. Well, he does know where the pectorals are. Yeah, and you know what? He is sharp as attack on our next murder when he suspects. (laughs) (laughs) He is sharp as attack. (laughs) When he suspects that the murders might be being committed (laughs) by someone wielding a chainsaw. You can't even keep your shit together. It's... (laughs) So, dear listeners, there's a young lady. She's getting ready to swim in a pool. She has the most frustrating undressing scene I've ever seen in my entire life because for some reason she feels compelled to take her pants off without taking her boots off. And then when her pants are down by her knees, she then sits down and takes one boot off and then tries to take a pant leg off very slowly like I, I'm, I'm just baffled by it people i am don't... too but you know what it really helps that she's confused about how to undress herself that leads me to believe somebody must have dressed her because she's obviously in need of help she can't figure out how to get out of this fucking pool skimmer of doom either <laughs> not only is the pool skimmer completely incapacitator and, and and she's like guys don't make fun of me okay like those pool skipper uh, skimmers they can like catch leaves and stuff really good and like I, have you ever seen a leaf get out of a pool skimmer no i am much like a leaf kind of vacant and dead and floating in the water or whatever she gets completely stymied by this fucking thing and not only that but it, like, knocks her out. It knocks her out. And he doesn't even push her under the water and hold her under. No. The way that we would expect with the aftermath of her being completely groggy and out of it and almost like um, like she's incapacitated, right? And definitely breathless, at least. Mm. So she seems to be almost drowned. Although, from what we saw moments ago, 
he wasn't actually drowning her with a pool skimmer. He was just sort of gently tugging her toward him. Yeah, he's like, I'll get you. Yeah, very strange, inconsistent. But, of course, Mr. Brown explains to us that he's not a pathologist, but it looks like she was killed with this chainsaw. Well, they do find her body in a bunch of pieces with a bloody mangled chainsaw next to it, just sitting there. And and he just kind of like, well, put two and two together. You know, before that, we get a fight scene with Willard, though. Yeah, because Willard walks in and notices this chainsaw and then thinks for a minute. <laughs> which is yeah a bloody chainsaw hmm like what that would cause me to run screaming well not screaming but run like i well walk quickly away mm-hmm. at very least well well they find that uh kendall is in there so he's the one that sees willard and sees the body and sees the chainsaw and just puts two and two together dives into the other room and then comes out with a bunch of police officers, and then Willard just fucking curb stomps all of them. Yeah, no one is any match for this giant Willard. I keep wanting to call him Bluto because Willard makes me think of Crispin Glover, obviously. But like, <laughs> he yeah, he demos all of them, which is the worst reaction. But I can see he's just like, oh, I was standing here out of sorts, wondering about this bloody chainsaw, and possibly writing haikus in my mind about it, and these men popped in the room and all what <laughs> fucking writing haikus in my mind about it that's what i would do and then all of a sudden he was jumped by like six fucking guys so of course he's gonna fight back because that's just like what you do i suppose when people start throwing punches you throw punches back i guess i can see that that would be the way he would approach that situation but i wouldn't your first reaction be like whoa whoa guys no it wasn't me i just walked in here and found this let's all try and find the killer together and eh, he's too manly He's like, oh, people putting hands on me? I'll fuck you up. Mm-hmm. Poor Bluto. Poor Willard. Mm-hmm. Now, we kind of skipped over the fact that Kendall is a character in this guy, in this movie. Um, he's like, what is he? Like a fucking college student, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, he's a college student. He's a college student plus. Yeah. Everyone seems to really trust him. All the girls seem to sleep with him. Oh, and, man. Yeah. Uh, the faculty really adores him. The police turn to adore him quite quickly. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, they sign him on basically into their investigation. Yeah, which I didn't know happened, where police officers kind of deputize students at a campus to help them crack the case. Yeah, it makes no real sense. They also blow the cover of their new undercover agent, uh, Mrs. Riggs, oh, yeah, that they're yeah, going yeah. to implant to try and catch this killer. And they assign Kendall to keep an eye on her. I bet he'll have no problem doing that. I know. Um, the first time I watched this, I just assumed that he was going to be sleeping with her within about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we are spared that deviant behavior because he's like such a man whore. He is. Yeah. But she seems pretty virginal and chaste and quite sweet for a lady cop slash tennis pro. Yeah, because we are treated, treated to a tennis scene that you pointed out is only 30 seconds long, but I complained about it as if it was going on for 10 years. I don't mind watching a small tennis scene, but any tennis scene feels like it goes on for 30 years. I don't know what it is. It's just immediately, you show a tennis racket in a court and people just groan and check out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it is a really short scene just to show her prowess on the court. According to like Wikipedia or wherever, 
none of these people knew how to play tennis, so they had to be trained how to play tennis. <laughs> I think that's why I was so interested in watching the tennis scene now, because I was just like, she didn't, she didn't know how to play tennis till the morning before. That's interesting. She's yeah. not doing too, too bad. But it does show some of the uh, camaraderie amongst these, the faculty and the students, because pretty much everyone is out. The dean himself is there, and he gets a chance to meet with the newly implanted tennis instructor. Mm-hmm. I guess she's Lieutenant Riggs. They don't ever refer to her with any sort of honorarium uh, from the police station, so I don't know what role she has at the police station. Yeah, it's hard to say. But she's a lady cop. Mm-hmm. So then she gets to meet up with our dean, who we haven't mentioned, was played by Edmund Perdum. Quite the actor, though. They picked him very well because he is Dean Incarnate. He's super Dean. Yeah, cold and unhelpful. <laughs> so the movie hasn't even been on for that long. We've already gotten quite a few murders. And we're going to get quite a few more. This is like jazzercise murders. I like the jazzercise scene. It reminded me of the dancing scene. I think it was a video or an exercise, a dancercise scene in Nightmare City. Reminded me a lot of that. <laughs> I am so thankful that this scene doesn't go on nearly as long as the scene in Nightmare City. Now, the killer has an interesting look about him. I think that he looks like a super primo pervert because he's got like the trench coat and the big brimmed hat and the high collar and the black gloves and he's always just kind of staring at people he never really says anything but people don't really seem to be alarmed by seeing a guy like this but he looks like a street flasher to me he does you pointed that out and asked if maybe this would be ground zero for (laughs) what we think of as like as like cartoon pervs can't see his face so he can't be identified because it's fedora and scarf or whatever um he reminded me a little more of like jack the ripper a lot of the lithographs in older newspapers showing mm, what they okay. suspected Jack the Ripper would have fictionalized version looked like um, as this trench-coated, large, caped, fedoraed, face-hidden type guy in the shadows. Um, the one difference with him and most, like, pervs, I guess, is his uh, sexy rubber gloves. Not leather gloves, not black leather gloves. But black rubber gloves. Yeah, the rubber. He means business. Like it's a little sweaty in there. Now, <laughs> the jazzercise scene is important because, Lydia, we're going to go back to that. Because one of the ladies that's participating in that class is going to be back there to make sure that, you know, she's practicing. and Making sure she's got it down right. They don't want to fuck up. So she's on the campus late at night. And then she realizes something's up. She gets pretty squirrely and pretty spooked. Starts running away from somebody. She's not exactly sure who. But she just gets this feeling that she's being stalked. Does she call out for Kendall? I'm going to have to watch this for the 7,000th time just to see if she hears a noise and goes, Kendall, is that you? We're always looking for Kendall. Well, every it's... Almost every girl hears a noise and thinks it's Kendall. Well, look at the dudes that run on this campus. You're either like creepy old guys you're that Poindexter dude with the, the short, with the terrible posture. Yeah. Or you're Kendall. Ooh, look at those sweaters. Look at your prim and proper perm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So finger curls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, give me some of that. Kendall. Either way, she's 
alone on campus. There's been two deaths already. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of strange that she's comfortable being alone and that the alarm hasn't been raised amongst the females that are obviously getting slaughtered. It is really weird, especially when she runs to an elevator and then a guy gets in the elevator with her. A guy dressed in a fedora and a trench coat and rubber gloves and a scarf hiding his face. And a chainsaw behind his back. Uh, oh, oh, Lydia, it was behind his back, okay? You couldn't see it. You couldn't see this massive 40-pound fucking chainsaw. And she just sits there, maybe a little nervous, maybe a little unsure, but I'm sure this is fine. I think that we should have another horror experiment where you walk around town dressed like that with a fucking chainsaw anywhere and try and get someone secluded anywhere <laughs> and see if they don't notice that you're fucking weird looking. First of all, I'm a little offended because you didn't really say that I had to hide my face or do anything like that. And I guess they would just think I'm weird looking anyways, podcast Cancelled! I'm mad. Whatever. I would dress you just exactly like our unknown killer in pieces, so your beautiful face would be hidden from view. No one would associate with the monster that you're portraying. And you get to fucking hang out with a chainsaw and me all day. Alright, podcast not cancelled. But she starts to wig out, obviously. What are you doing? Well, he's stopping the elevator. He's got a big chainsaw and he's going to turn it on. He's going to cut you the fuck up. Because that's what he does. Are you getting a sense at this point that he's collecting body parts? Because I don't really get a sense just yet that he that's what he's doing specifically. No, it's only if you're fixating on the puzzle. Because they do cut back to the puzzle whenever he returns to his hidey hole. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to call it his chambers. Because they're quite ornate mm-hmm. and comfortable looking. Um, and he has a walk-in fr- fridge for some reason, which is amazing and mm-hmm. cool. Uh, but he's planned ahead, that's for sure. But aside from all of that, that is kind of distracting anyway. So that's something you would pay attention to when they're cutting back to the killer in his cave. Then they do show him putting the puzzle back together piece by piece, coordinating with what pieces are missing. I think that we're more caught up in the gore. Like this girl in the elevator who is missing an arm when we see her next Mm -hmm. and quite dead. Well, two arms, actually. Both her arms got friggin' cut off. They show the puzzle being put back together with the arms. So they don't quite out and out say that, oh, he must be collecting body parts. And when we think back at this point, if we've noticed at this point, he had collected, you know, a head and legs Mm. and arms now Mm -hmm. if we're counting but i think that we're caught up enough in the quote-unquote whodunit because it's an awfully thin whodunit really yeah Uh, we're paying attention to our very fun and very colorful red herrings thus far Mm -hmm. and we're paying attention to the miraculous amount of gore Mm -hmm. i don't care what pieces are missing really when i see these dead bodies i'm looking at them aesthetically Mm mm-hmm no, that does make sense, yeah. Unless you're more caught up in the MO of the killer, in the psychology of the killer, which upon first viewing and honestly being like an 18 or 19 year old girl watching this, I wasn't so much. This was lost on me completely. Yeah. I, I was just like, oh, look, violence and boobs. That's what I only I had a passing interest in criminal profiling and abnormal psychology when I was that young. A very passing, a budding interest. 
if you will. It's not till now watching this that I'm a little more interested in that. I mean, unless you're going to be that really literal person that takes the title of pieces and you're looking for how these pieces and puzzle pieces and body pieces are all tying together from the get-go, it's easy to not notice that he's collecting body pieces because they don't come out and tell us either, right? That's true. The cops haven't caught on to that. I was thinking that he's super into puzzles, so bodies must seem like a really boring puzzle to him. Because you buy yourself a puzzle, you buy the right puzzle, you get a thousand pieces out of that. You're really going to get a thousand pieces out of a body? People are pretty much just going to cut the main bits off. And then, so you, what, you got like six, seven parts? With a chainsaw, you're absolutely correct. With yeah. pathology tools, I'd say you'd have the puzzle that would last a lifetime. Maybe, but this guy doesn't really look like he's got those. He's just got the chainsaw. And so he's like, oh, look at this five. I could either do a 500-piece puzzle and, you know, that'll be my whole weekend. Or I guess I could just, like, arrange these six pieces together. Boring. Next. Yeah, and you think he spends a lot of time with his naked lady puzzle. Like, so. he's constantly, he. you would assume that since he's a kid, he's been disassembling and reassembling that puzzle. Because when you're seeing him put the puzzle back together, he's doing it, like, two-handed. He's got, like, two pieces here, two pieces here, two pieces here. And some of them are already put together, which drives me kind of batty, because that's the number one rule of undoing a puzzle, is you have to take every single piece apart. He's yeah, not very good at this puzzle thing. No, I know, for a guy that apparently loves it so much. Well, maybe a six-piece puzzle is, is like, kind of his speed. <laughs> maybe it's no one else's speed though because the campus is fucking full-blown alert panic mode now finally yeah even though because by the second murder the dean's like eh, do we have to do all this stuff i don't want to disrupt school life which on one hand would seem ultra suspicious but on the other hand he's just that kind of guy yeah and he doesn't try and defer suspicion onto other people either when willard is cleared because i don't i don't remember why willard was cleared because he was busy he was somewhere else he had an mm. alibi um he didn't do it clearly that's it um mr brown is relieved of suspicion eventually mm. and the dean is instrumental in relieving the suspicions of his co-workers because he's not like being called to be evasive He's just naturally like that. Which, again, I mean, it's a perfect archetype for a dean. Mm -hmm. But don't worry, because Kendall sort of uh, aloofly is on the case. <laughs> In between sexing up all the ladies he can. Pretty much. Yeah, Kendall is a, as an odd duck, because I want to count him in among the red herrings as well, just because he knows all these girls. Yeah. He and, intimately. And by the way, they do catch him. He discovers a lot of these bodies. He's at the crime scenes before they're officially crime scenes. So there's no reason why people wouldn't think that, well, maybe it's this guy. He always kind of seems to be here when bodies are discovered and he knows pretty much everyone that's been killed. He also seems to be semi-interested in Mrs. Riggs, I think. I, it's hard to tell. I honestly think he's that... He's not interested in the girls that he's sleeping with, so... True. Well, you know that because he's in bed with a lady, and then he goes outside and he sees Riggs walking around, 
and he couldn't even be bothered. He's not even, his like dick's hanging out and he couldn't even be bothered to go back to bed with his lady that he's with. He's got to go out there, but good thing he did because there's another inexplicable scene that happens in this fucking movie. <laughs> I, I like that she is out on her own mm-hmm. and investigating the premise and just seeing who's about at night, who's out and about at night, which is weird because none of these murders have occurred at night, I don't think. The pool scene seemed to be at night, but that was inside. No one has really been killed just on campus randomly at night. That's not really how it's happening. But that's what she's investigating. And I guess it's kind of a cool Nancy Drew look to her. <laughs> what? It's funny. Turtleneck flashlight late at night. Oh, yeah. The grotto type outdoor halls. That's, you know, very Nancy Drew. So I do like that look for her. And she's doing a bang up job. Yeah. Well, she smoked some guy out. That's, it's so, I don't even know what to say. About this particular scene. There is somebody running around the grounds that she notices. In an, in a tracksuit, a blue tracksuit, like Adidas tracksuit, if you yeah. can envision it. And she's trying to get to the bottom of this, figure out who the fuck it is. She turns a corner, and this fucking guy just starts fucking kung fu fighting her. Ridiculous. It's so weird. It's so fucking weird. It somehow reminds me of the I kick ass for the Lord scene. <laughs> Where it's like all of a sudden martial arts. Yeah. We're just, just doing... all of a sudden martial arts. All of a sudden around the corner in the dark martial arts. And he almost kicks her ass. I think he actually kicks her right in the face. Yeah. He gets fucking knocked down. She's completely shocked. And you're like. Who is this guy? What the fuck's going on? It can't. We know as the audience this isn't the pieces guy because he's not. He's not dressed like him. We can clearly see his face, and there's no area of chainsaw to be found. Yeah, but then she hits him in the fucking balls with a quick kick, and it completely incapacitates him. He's like, ah, I'm basically unconscious now. Fucking Kendall shows up on his moped or whatever the hell he's driving. It looks. It's a dirt bike of some sort. That dude, a moped wouldn't make that sort of noise. That dude gets up and, oh, it's my kung fu teacher. Why did you attack him? She attacked me. Ridiculous. He says he doesn't remember a thing. And in the Spanish version, he just says, oh, sorry, have a good night then. And he walks away. In the American version, he blames it on some bad sushi. Uh, which is just kind of strange to me. I never re- that that line never really sat well with me. That whole scene never really sat well with me. It shouldn't sit well with you. And neither does bad sushi. I I get it. I get it. <laughs> but it wouldn't wipe out your memory. It wouldn't make you fucking attack somebody with your slick martial art move. It doesn't make any fucking sense. That's no, whiskey. Whiskey and, does. That. And honestly, it struck me as people standing around a movie set saying hey this guy knows martial arts it's it's fucking thought up on the day because it's a random scene with three actors that could have been shot at any place at any fucking time for any fucking movie for any fucking movie there's not enough fucking dialogue there's nothing that progresses anything forward it's just so we can have this guy do martial arts 
and that's just going to be in the movie now. Kendall shows up where Miss Riggs is all the fucking time. They could have cut that out entirely and poof, she's with Kendall and he has a bike. Whatever. That wouldn't have even struck us as weird at that point. This, the guy is not alluded to before or after. The guy is not a red herring at all because he's nothing like the killer. It's not even that interesting of a scene. It's a little bit uncomfortable of a scene. It doesn't really progress her character at all because like what you would expect that she's going to fight back to a certain extent and carry a gun and those things because she's a cop. Like those things aren't surprising. There's nothing about the scene. It can, along with the skateboard girl mirror scene, be just cut out and deleted entirely. I know. Honestly, like, and and this is not a knock against the movie and people who really like pieces. I like it too. And I love the kills and, um, and it's, it's interesting flick. And we'll get into more about like what I like about it when we get more into the plot. Well, such as it is, but Honestly, if they cut out every superfluous scene in this movie, it would be 45 minutes long. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. All I'm saying is even at fucking 86 minutes, it, it there's filler in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which goes to show you that they had effects and they had a vague idea, but they didn't really have enough to flesh it out to 90 minutes. And it wasn't as fun as, um, I want to say more popular modern horror where you're going to spend a little more time with the killer on the kills yeah that would have made it a whole different film a whole different more heavily banned and censored film for sure because the best kill in my estimation and i could be dead wrong but the best kill in the movie is the next one that happens that's where they take their time it's slow it's very beautiful it's interesting mm-hmm you have a woman who is stalked throughout the campus and eventually ends up in a room running away from the killer. And this is the interesting kill is this. Is he's also not using a chainsaw. No, the chainsaw is in the next room. Yeah. It she is... <laughs> she opens up the sauna and there's a chainsaw in it and she's like, mm, yep. Which is fucked up because now there's been like four deaths or whatever and they're all done with a chainsaw. And if anyone knows anything, they haven't fucking told her. And she's just maybe a social outcast and doesn't listen to the campus buzz. Because I'm sure by now buzz. tons are wagging. Yeah, that was a pun. <laughs> um, and tugs are wagging will it be a pun in a second. Yeah. She sees the fucking chainsaw in the sauna. Saunas and chainsaws, that doesn't go together. And she just, yeah, shrugs her shoulders and turns back to the water bedroom. I don't understand this school. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's like, why? Like, they, they she literally goes into this the, this room that has a water bed in it and nothing else. There's nothing else in this fucking room. So what is this room? Is it so you relax on the water bed? By the way, why is this chainsaw continually continually being found at the crime scenes left and documented at crime scenes and then the killer gets it back again what the fuck that doesn't make any sense it's like they're fucking have they have cops around they're fucking like taping things off they're taking photos they're taking records and documents they're clearing the bodies away what well, do they do? Just leave the fucking chainsaw behind? I'd have to say he's a thinking killer. We've established that much. And he has taste. You've seen the decor of his killer cave. Killer cave. His yeah. home. It's, I, I quite like it. And he takes care of his things. It's a very ornate dresser that he keeps all his creepy blood stuff in. It's true. And he's also got this walk-in fridge for his cadavers. So he's given it a lot of thought. 
he has the means to provide these things he needs. I'll bet that next to the walk-in cadaver fridge, he has the chainsaw closet. So he's probably got <laughs> ten of the fucking things. Do you think it's like a fucking Looney Tunes thing, or or, or um like later on in like the, the early nineties, where cartoon characters would acknowledge that they wore the same things over and over again? So Smurfette they would... has a whole bunch of dresses yeah, in her closet. Yeah, so you open up the closet and it's all the exact same outfit. Marge is the exact same way. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, uh, I believe so. They don't show it, but they could have. And if they would have, it would have been another five minutes of filler that wasn't the Kung Fu instructor. I would have wanted a walk-in closet with just hats and trench coats on one side and just bright yellow chainsaws on the other. (laughs) Me too. Me too. And it would would give me another thing about this guy's home that I would just fucking love. I'd give anything for... I'd give anything for that scene. Um, Well... That's the only way to explain it because you're totally fucking right. Yeah, <laughs> so I because originally I was like because I was thinking oh yeah he's killing her with a knife because the chainsaw has been at previous crime scenes and they've gotten and they've confiscated it, but I was like no wait she saw it in the sauna, so he has the chainsaw he's just not using it he's using the shiniest knife in the world oh I love this knife oh my god it almost looks like he took a piece of uh, mirror glass and put a handle on it he's like this is my knife now it looks really cool. Um, this sequence is so bizarre. Maybe it's because they used a different weapon. And so when you have a stabbing weapon, we're going to use more time. But he stabs her repeatedly onto the waterbed. Her blood and the punctured waterbed are merging together. And so it's, it's like this blood red, dark, wavy thing where she's struggling on top of. She's soaking wet. And then eventually she ends up on her belly and he stabs her right through the back of the head and the tip of the knife comes out her mouth it looks really really cool it's a great scene i like this scene quite a bit and as opposed to we watched the spanish version as opposed to just blaring their fingers down on a piano key for the entire kill they're they've changed the score up and it's uh more melodic Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what the decision was. Like, let's take our time with this one. Let's slow it down. It was a wise decision. It makes this kill stand out. And then he pulls her back. And this is where we're cut to definitively. We're, uh, he pulls her, her limp body back, uh, exposing her legs. And, uh, and then the next time we see the killer do anything, it's trying to put shoes on a hanging corpse. Yeah. Yeah. And the shoes don't quite fit. I do like that he didn't cut up the legs and we would have missed that if we weren't paying attention now in retrospect. But my favorite thing is when he pulls her by her legs, her skirt flies up in the water, the bloody water that she's submerged in. That kill reminds me a lot of the twins kill in Sick Nurses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, watery box of blood kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... They do use a little slow motion. Even the first kill, the decapitation, they use oh, slow motion. Oh, yeah, they just did. Just to they did. They draw did. out that one effect, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad, you're totally right, I'm glad that they used it in this beautiful set piece, actually. Mm-hmm. It is a very beautiful scene. Every every movie like this has at least one definitive kill that, okay, yeah, this is the one that we spent time on. This is the one we're all really proud of. This is the one that came out the best. This is easily that moment. If they'd have spent that much time during the killing with the killer, 
they spend a little more time with the aftermath. We get to see a lot of like body parts being put on gurneys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spend a lot more time in the aftermath usually. And even the, the final kill, we get to see a lot of the aftermath, which is quite beautiful. Um, no other kill really spends as much time with the killer killing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said kill a lot in the last minute. The shoes are amazing. I wear shoes almost exactly like that to work every day. <laughs> Except with the blood on them. But I like the look of the blood on them. It's amazing that the blood has remained red for 40 years, though. Mm-hmm. I'll just say that. Yeah. Unless he's putting fresh blood on it regularly. Or if he has a whole closet full of bloody shoes. It's possible. Now... We've left our detectives behind because they're boring to me. But <laughs> they they give you a library scene. They do. They do give a library scene. They're trying to piece together exactly what was going on. Because I guess they're not going to shut down the campus. Because why would you when there's a killer on the loose? Just let everyone keep going to school. Yeah. And some of the more gutsy females spending time alone. Yeah, gutsy is the fucking right word, especially for the last one. It's strange to me that after all of this, while the killer is obviously ramping up, everyone else on the campus seems to be going about business as usual. Even Riggs and Kendall. Mm-hmm. They go and play some tennis and they hang do. out. They do. Which makes no sense to me. Shouldn't they all be on high alert? And they should actually be shutting down the campus by this point. Fuck yeah. It should be completely locked down. Mm-hmm. Instead, everyone's going to classes, going about their day, playing tennis. Mm-hmm. Well, Riggs has a little tennis partner, who I guess... <laughs> also knows Kendall. Who also knows Kendall. All of a sudden, this music starts blaring. Da, 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 da. I hated it. Like, really loud. It's something that they played in the first tennis match scene uh, after Riggs shows her tennis pro abilities. Yeah. And they cue this music after the match has been declared won. And it's like a happy scene. It's not quite as glaringly loud. No, Normal this... ba- marching band music that I suppose any school would pipe in after some sort of win. But this is crazy loud. Mm-hmm. It's crazy loud. Now, the young lady doesn't seem too bothered by it because she's got to go take a shower because she's sweating it up. Sweating it up old school. And Kendall and Riggs are heading to play a match of their own. Yeah. And, oh shit, there's a killer loose we all forgot maybe i don't know but as she's getting dressed the killer shows up this time is different because i'm getting the indication that he probably wasn't in costume you're seeing his legs you're seeing his brown shoes you're seeing his slacks you're not seeing his long trench coat and they don't show the back of his head or anything they just kind of show the chainsaw on the arms and you had pointed out that she's the first person to recognize him yeah, it's and to you. let us know that she recognizes, yes, by saying it's you. Uh, it doesn't give us many other clues. No. And it actually throws us off showing us the shoes and the pants that they show. Because when we do get our reveal, it doesn't exactly match up, but that doesn't even really matter. It's just that she definitely recognizes this person, and they're not entirely out of place on campus. Yeah, absolutely. Meanwhile, you're having... Willard come out he doesn't like the fact that the music is blaring and he is complaining to Riggs and Kendall uh, uh, yeah Riggs and Kendall about it they say that the way that the music is only can be used uh, turned on excuse me from the dean's office and well we don't know where he is well Riggs wants 
Kendall to call the dean and ask if he turned the music on or if he could turn it off or whatever. And Willard tries to cock block all that because you're not allowed to use the phone in the lockers, which makes no sense to me because in the locker room be unlocked. She's in the locker room. He needs to go in the locker room to use the phone, but he's not allowed in there and it's locked. I don't understand. Why would you have a phone if you're not allowed to use it? Exactly. (laughs) And ultimately... I don't think they go to the dean's office to turn off the music because they eventually do turn off the music, mm. which has provided this beautiful cover for the thousand screams in the daytime, I guess. Because it's, it's not true. a thousand screams in the night. The night the, These nights do not have 1,000 screams. These nights have a couple kung fu moves. I will tell you <laughs> that. No, but she runs away. Uh, she does a pretty good job. And there's a point where you think, oh, maybe she might live. Mm, not quite. Although she manages to close a couple of doors in between him and her. It is a chainsaw going through wood is kind of what they do. So once she is backed into an absolute corner, she is eventually torsoed. She's bisected. And we know this because when Kendall conveniently discovers the body after they have managed to turn off the music, they show what she looks like. And it's a really good shot of just the upper part of her torso. And we can see clearly that the whole bottom part of her has been taken gone and the guts are spilling out on the floor we also know that she was bisected neatly with one of the standout fucking special effects bits in this film Mm -hmm. and they just sawed through a pig that's one of the reasons i bought this film way back in the day for like two dollars or something it's Uh, a steal oh totally crummy vhs that i wish i still had the cover for because the cover got demolished but it had um one of those little gold seal things to tell you what awards it had won and it had won a special effects prize in 1986 apparently and that's why i had bought it because it was a texas chainsaw massacre elsewhere and it was award-winning special effects accolades quite the fucking special effect here because at the time we weren't as used to seeing such visceral gore especially not something that was cut so effectively from the woman's body to the pig's body there isn't a lot of difference we can't immediately tell that it's a pig's body they do an amazing job they did a great job shaving the pig i guess Mm -hmm. or whatever you have to do to prep a pig um and it's bloody as hell so i really 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 like this particular kill for that and the amount of time that they linger in the aftermath Mm -hmm. i believe this is where the bulk of the minutes were cut between the 86 and 83 minutes yeah probably i would almost guarantee you that yeah yeah all those beautiful guts. It sort of like reminds me of Corpse Party. Yeah. Yeah. About as gutsy as Corpse Party. But let me ask you this, Lydia. Your professional opinion. Professional what? A professional watcher of things. Okay. If the music could be turned on by the dean's office, and really the dean only has access to the dean's office, do you think it might be the dean that's doing all this? Oh, that's preposterous. Preposterous, right? You saw him. Short hair, black suit. He's totally not a killer. Oh my god, no. I don't think he has it in him. And besides, why wouldn't he be deflecting onto all of our red herrings instead of taking suspicion away from them? Explaining Brown's off-putting demeanor because he is a homosexual and persecuted elsewhere and he's welcome at this university because he's going to just go about his studies and everyone's going to play the don't ask don't tell game and he protects him he's a protecting nurturing person the dean he keeps willard around even though he looks like a bluto that's about to fucking pop you in the jaw for any reason and he's probably giving you the evil eye and casting gypsy wicked spells on you 
But he keeps him around because he's a good groundskeeper. And you know what? This is the type of campus that has kung fu instructors, so pretty cool, I think. He took Riggs in. The cops came and said, we're shoving a cop into your faculty. And he said, okay, sure. You know, he's an accommodating, nurturing. He has houseplants, for Christ's sakes. Well, he does. We kind of glossed glossed over this one thing about the discovering of the body is Riggs' reaction to the body. She is not a nurturing and caring individual, Miss Riggs. Not at all. She kind of fucking freaks out. She kind of loses her fucking cool entirely. Mm-hmm. I think kind of that she's maybe a shitty cop. She's seen a couple bodies just on this campus alone. Mm-hmm. But she is really angry at this killer. Well, she played tennis with this victim. Lydia, you don't forget that type of thing. That's a bond. Well, Kendall two probably people. fucked her. Yeah, and he's... He's not that broken up. No, because, you know what? He's like, there's always another woman for me to have sex with. That's his his motto. Mm -hmm. Um, This scene is actually pretty funny. It's ended up in uh, some cuts of bad or awkward lines that I've seen online. And it always strikes me as funny because I always think it's kind of unfair. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, it's a dubbed movie. Like so, even the English one, it's like it's gonna sound weird because they basically have to adhere to what this woman was saying in Spanish, and you know, hot-blooded, passionate Spanish actors that are interpreting their lines. Big, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is hot-blooded. I will that I will agree there. Yeah. Bastard, 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 bastard. That's the scene we're talking about. Bast. She says bastard a lot. <laughs> just screeching it now she is extremely fucking passionate about yeah. catching this killer not passionate enough to really do much about it but kendall although a little broken up that yet another one of his dates has met a cruel demise he goes to help the police investigate further yeah a library scene mm-hmm. the library scene that i love so much mm. So I go through a lot of records. You were pointing out that you're glad that we no longer live in a world where we have to go through dusty records and giant files. No, because his job is basically to paw through this giant stack of old police records, along with one of the cops, like the lieutenant, I suppose. I guess it would be Linda Day's husband, who's played by Christopher George. Um, They both have these giant stacks, and they might as well have magnifying glasses in there to take notes of any of these police records mention anyone who is faculty on campus or anyone on campus for that matter so yeah in this age of digital fucking information management i am so glad that people could just key this into a database and let me tell you something the most important thing about this scene lydia the most important thing by by a wide margin maybe the most important thing in the movie is they're eating wendy's <laughs> I'd like to. I guess they just like brought some empty boxes and Wendy's cups with them. Was there Wendy's in Spain at the time? Is there I have Wendy's? no idea. What is the global reach of Wendy's now? Even I have no idea. I can tell you, not as fucking far as it used to be, because the closest Wendy's to me closed down, and so now when I want Wendy's, which is often, it's hard for me to get to it. I think I've had Wendy's three times in my life. I think that the podcast is canceled. Friendship canceled i'm out of here goodbye anyway 
So they have Wendy's, even though the cop doesn't want them to smoke in there because it drives them nuts. And I think that the smoke, yes, is will deteriorate these very fragile paper police records. They're eating fucking grease ass Wendy's and getting their yucky old fingerprints all over these important documents. You're right. We should just eat Wendy's and not do any police work. That would be ideal for me. Well, they wouldn't have stumbled upon the important clue around a mouthful of fucking mangled meat. What clue was that? The very important clue has to do with the Dean's past. Mm. So maybe you were right. They find out that the Dean's mother had been a victim of a vicious slaughter. Not unlike the vicious slaughters that they've been experiencing at the campus. Mm -hmm. That alone wouldn't really set anyone off, but the Dean had changed his name. Kind of weird. I don't know, maybe not so weird. Maybe he had been adopted off and changed his name. It's possible. But it is the only thing that they found that sets off any alarm bells with anyone on campus. And the Dean has been sort of cold to them. So Mm -hmm. I suppose you might have been right all along, Wes. Maybe, but Riggs is convinced that she should at least go over there and talk to him. Yeah, because she's not privy to this information. This is way before the age of databases for police work and cell phones for getting in contact with people who are about to walk in to the Viper's lair. It's true. Now, she wants to have a conversation about basically the fact that they're getting to the point where they should be investigating people at the school because it's getting to the... They can't... They're not getting any leads as far as she knows. So he's just going to have a nice conversation with her, pour some coffee. Now, she doesn't want to have any sweetener in it. And he's only got an instant. Uh-huh. But he'll still do his very best with his tacky orange dishes. I like his kitchen. Like I'd said, I would definitely restain the wood dark, probably black, and replace all that hideous busy tile with like a slate gray. But he does have some really nice quarters. And that's something that we noticed, that it's quite ornate. And mm-hmm. it's very beautiful, not unlike the killer. So we're convinced doubly that she is in a lot of trouble it doesn't help that he is clearly dipping uh, what was that poison i think it was um it's either monk's hood or mother-in-law's tongue this plant he does have a lot of house plants so i kind of think it might be mother-in-law's tongue but he does say which poison it is (laughs) he's like super shifty-eyed about it too he's like "Mm, yes 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 he does have that same cold sort of standoffish decorum when he's talking to her, though, when he's first fed her her coffee. Mm-hmm. But then as this poison takes effect... It's a paralysis. She can, She's conscious. She can uh, hear and see everything. Yeah. But she can't speak or move. Which is like mother-in-law's tongue does render you entirely numb, which makes a lot of sense uh, if that is what she's being administered. But as it takes effect, she starts to realize there's something definitely wrong. And soon enough, she can just sit upright and look. She can't Mm. talk. And his demeanor shifts. Oh, yeah. Love, like, I love this, how he goes from his normal kind of placid cold to menacing. Mm -hmm. And he stands up and the camera angle shifts to make him look even more imposing. Yeah, he looks very dominating and like, "Mm, yes, now I'm going to kill you. I will say that much like in... Any horror movie where the protagonist or one of the protagonists isn't really meant to die, the killer changes their methodology to the point in which 
they're all, it's a lot more survivable. There's no, I don't understand why he felt the need to poison her unless he thought that she is a police officer. She is able to defend herself. She probably has a gun on her. So it might be safe for him to paralyze her. Well, he'd heard about the altercation with the Kung Fu instructor. Now, who, so she, who she beat. She beat that yeah, Kung Fu instructor. So that could exactly be why. Maybe this is the first time he gets to play with his food. It's true. And he, <laughs> and he instantly goes to the feet because if we know, if we've noticed anything before about the fact that uh, the, the, the feet on the, the previous feet that he has are not the right size for the shoes. The shoes won't stay on. So he's got to fix it. And so her feet are probably perfect. And he like grabs her feet and takes her shoes off and just is super happy. Like almost like he has a foot fetish, but he's just really happy that he's going to have the right size feet. It almost mirrors that gleeful look that we had from a very, very young boy cutting his mother up with a saw in the first scene. He's about that happy. But good news, the police realize that something is up, and they go to the dean's apartment. Yeah, they go racing. They even make a phone call. They don't have cell phones, but they try. <laughs> yeah. They get there and <laughs> shoot the door. The very beautiful door. I felt so bad. I was like, no, they don't shoot that door. It's beautiful. Look at that wood. I like how they have Kendall in tow. They're oh, dragging how... a student into this. I know. It's like... like... This is not how police behave. Who is this fucking guy? And they're, and the only thing they say is like, if anything happens, I want you to hit the floor. I'm like, how about you not bring a civilian to apprehend a, a dangerous killer? So they fucking barge in there. They see the fact that Riggs is completely paralyzed, but they don't seem to see the shifting curtains. No, they don't notice the shipping curtains. Just like nobody in this movie notices rustling bushes. Just like a fucking cartoon. And this is where I start to get antsy because I'm like, any Boy Scout would know to watch. Like the person, Riggs is definitely motioning with her eyes, like over there. Oh my God, look over there. She's definitely doing that. She's mm -hmm. making a, a cartoon effort to mm -hmm. get their attention to look where she is looking. I mean, if you can understand that a dog wants the treats on the counter... Mm -hmm. You can understand that this girl wants you to look to your right. Mm -hmm. That's all she wants you to do. And there's three gentlemen there that None of them look. can't figure this out. Yeah. And not only that, but when Kendall's there, like, oh, don't worry. Kendall's got you. The two police officers leave to, I guess, get back up or whatever. And that's when the dean and his shiny, shiny knife pop out. And are going to try to kill Kendall. I love that knife. There's this one part where they show the shiny knife and it's got a thumbprint on it. And I'm all like, ooh, they got to clean that thumbprint off. And the very next scene, it's all shiny again. They're like, wait a second, cut. There's a thumbprint on that knife. Wipe it down. Yeah, it's perfect. That is the shiniest knife. It's like chrome or something. It's like so perfect. It's, you, I want knives like that. Did you feel a little cheated? The fact that like the final showdown was not with his chainsaw, but with the knife? No, at that point, I'd fallen in love with the knife. At that point, I'm happy with the knife. Okay. Yeah. Besides, he only has a little tiny cut to make if he was going to make her, get her just her feet. And he's in his nice, beautiful place. I wouldn't want to get him to get chainsaw splatter, like, all over that. Well, he does bring, like, a plastic garbage bag with him to when he was first looking at the feet. So you know he doesn't want to make a mess. I don't think that's quite enough, really. I think I you have to Dexter the fucking place. Yeah, I know. Or, that, like, that scene from uh, American Psycho. Yeah. Where he was yeah. like... Do you have a dog? No. Is that an axe? Yes. <laughs> they would probably need something like that. 
Um, well, Kendall manages to fight this guy off. It's a pretty good struggle. Not quite as good as the struggle in Prowler. I like that struggle more because this one is just with a guy with a knife who doesn't have a knife. And the camera angles are so weird that you're not really sure what direction the knife is facing. But it doesn't matter. It's not going to be one of those like, who stabbed? Oh, the killer is dead. Nah, the, the fucking cops are going to barge into the door right between the eyes. Boom. Which is nice. Yeah. Because there was no real struggle. And who knows? Poor Riggs might have got stepped on because when that all happened, Kendall just fucking dropped her numb ass on the floor. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> she's just like, well, this is my life now. I'm carpet face girl. <laughs> yeah. My God. It was such a quick ending. Such a quick, quick ending. It's such a... To that, like an ending to the killer. It's so wrapped. It's just yeah, wrapped up. It is. They could really just end it right there. But they don't. For some inexplicable reason. Because here's another fucking scene that I think people are going to be talking about until the end of days. I think that if I were going to continue it past the killer being dead and have them turn the bookshelf around. Because mm -hmm. one of the cops is like, you never know what to expect. And he leans on the wall and turns the bookshelf around. And the cadaver, his beautiful girl... His new mom. Yeah, because it's like wearing his mom's old dress and the shoes and She's whatever. She's in pieces like his beloved puzzle girl. So it's this mismatch of mom and puzzle girl. Finally, the perfect specimen of a woman for him. Not a bad idea, I guess, if you're a fucking psychopathic maniac. I can see how that came to be. <laughs> but it keeps her in a not refrigerated behind the bookshelf yeah she's looking area. pretty worse for wear fucking gross yeah she is definitely a, a horrible frankenstein monster like horrible actually all stitched up turning colors she's rotting terribly she must have smelt horribly oh yeah so i don't understand like, like, yeah like yeah. The, the whole apartment would have reeked like oh that. fuck yeah she is turning colors and seeping it's gross they could have ended it there. They could have just had the corpse falling out slow-mo. Kendall's face making this upside-down D, sort of like the shape of a Pac-Man ghost in horror. You know, that sort of cartoon yeah. ending. Um, they could have slow-mo cut it there. Yeah. That would have been a nice ending. Yeah, yeah. And we would have had a nice full, like, frame look at his creation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite end there, though. No. Oh. For some reason, and you could chop it up to a myriad of things that don't fucking make any sense. When the body of the pieced together woman is under the sheet and Kendall is just, well, all's well that ends well, the arm of this cadaver. 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 Not half alive, girl. Cadaver. Cadaver. And it's not even her arm. This arm does not belong to this torso. No. Um, reaches up, grabs him by the dick, claws down, and apparently he is the only human being on Earth whose pants like are basically like skin because it just... Like, rakes, her nails rake down, and it's just all blood and gore and gush, and you're assuming that she's ripping his dick off. And he's just like, oh, 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 like... She has, like, Night of the Demon powers by that point. Yeah. That's basically what, what she has. What the fuck is... Yeah. And then credits. 
we're done. We're out of here. Oh, that's the end. Yeah. This so, huge dick rake. I don't I don't understand it either. And she really goes for it. There's quite a bit of blood pouring out of his skin yeah. jeans. Do you think that do you think that it's it's and your punishment for sleeping with all of these women is to have your penis removed. Is that what it is? Which is ridiculous because most of the women he slept with are dead. And it's not like he was a sexual predator. No. He was just a fucking mad player and all the ladies loved him. And apparently very good in bed because they would just beg him to return. So it wasn't like a bad thing he was doing whatsoever. And that, I suppose, is what people do in college. And I also suppose this college was a great place to do it because they had a waterbed room. Yeah, I know. Here's our room. It's like, this room's for fucking. I think so. It's baffling. It's up beside su- a sauna? I it, mean, that's kind of the perfect place for that I agree, room. I agree with you. They should Cops come in, gunshot to the head. We out. Yeah. Just leave it there. But this extra scene, and I'm just, what is that? What? What? Why? What is it? I'll never understand. I'll oh. never understand. And there's no, it's not even, like, it's not that it's a horrible effect. We get what happened. The, like, the fingernails go through the jeans and rake in the skin, and his dick is probably irreversibly damaged. Of some, or his balls, at least. Like, I don't know what would have been exactly torn. She might have even just torn his lower stomach you know what Mm -hmm. i mean um depending on where he was tucked Mm -hmm. so he might not have any actual dick damage there but she does give it a good squeeze so he's in a lot of pain maybe not irreversible pain but it's not that good of an effect it's not like it's only shocking because she is raking his groin but we've already seen his cock yeah we've literally seen his dick it's not like so it's not shocking in a sexual manner that way I, I, I'll never really And it's not even this. one of those scenes where the credits roll and you just like lean back in your chair cross-armed and you just look it over to your uh, to your friend you're like, yep, really makes you think, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't make you think at all. It makes you think about what the fuck they might have been trying to convey. That's what I'm always wondering. I was like, what, as the writer, as the director, as whatever, what are you trying to tell me with this scene? You have to be trying to tell me something. And between this, Kung Fu Masters, and Skateboard Mirror Skateboard Girl. Mirror Girl, there's too many scenes that belong in other movies. It is it is fun to watch this with people who don't expect all of these ridiculous scenes, especially the end scene, because it is just the cherry on top. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe these scenes were added for filler. Maybe these scenes were written in intentionally to be just sort of incongruities that make no sense and then they were building up in a way to this cherry on top useless scene that means nothing and is deletable mm-hmm. none of these deletable scenes are deleted in the edited version i will tell you that <laughs> especially not even this one i think it might be shortened by a few seconds nanoseconds at that but it's intact which is more than i can say for kendall's dick Depending on where he was tucked, I don't know the the physiology. It's true. From my he's perspective, wearing pretty tight pants. From my perspective, as a dude that uh, has been carrying around a dick and balls for a while, mm-hmm. I don't see how his dick was damaged. It looks like thigh and hip to me. Yeah, but but I could be dead wrong. The Wikipedia page specifically says he was castrated. 
Wow, they really had that escalate quickly. Yeah. I can't see how he would necessarily be castrated. That's, well, perhaps. He's also apparently well endowed. So maybe his genes are taken up entirely by his By junk. his dick. Yeah. I saw his dick. It's a, it's a free hanger. He's yeah. a shower and possibly a grower? Probably a grower. <laughs> Just considering on his the reaction the women around him have. Yeah. Yeah. To put it politely. I don't know what they're trying to do with punishing his sexuality at the end like that. Like so many horror movies do punish sexuality. They were it wasn't part of that camp though. No pun intended. It wasn't part of that Friday the thirteenth thing where the counselors were having sex and that was why this horror has been unleashed upon them. Yeah. So it wasn't part of that camp necessarily. And they do treat sexuality in a pretty benign, organic, normal way through the whole fucking movie. So why do that? Don't get it. But I love it. <laughs> I will tell you that. So what do we got next for? Next we have Suicide Club. Ooh. I like it a lot. I know you do. I don't know what I'm getting into. I'm deciding if I'm going to dry dog this one. Not too sure. I kind of want to go into it dry and not watch it beforehand, but then I think I might want to maybe take it out for a coffee first at least. <laughs> Get to know it a little bit. Yeah. My hot recommendation, check it out beforehand. Oh, yeah? Mm. Yeah, I think that I will then. Anything with suicide in the title kind of gets my attention. And right after Suicide Club, which is a little more contemporary, we're going to be going back to the 80s with Creepshow. Ooh. Yeah. Good to delve into my comic book roots. Creepshow is definitely one of my favorite from when I was a young kid and able to watch horror. Me too. It combines my love of comic books, cartoons, and horror. Which is kind of why I like you. I'm like a comic book and a cartoon and horror. All mixed together into one surly, surly woman. I've been accused of being a cartoon before. <laughs> and on that note, I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>